Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Game of Thrones and a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. There, there was a bear bear, all black and brown and covered in hair. Um, this is the f- first of our chapter review or recaps, I guess, for um, the Song of Ice and Fire books. We're looking at Jamie 1 and Jamie 2 tonight. Um, before we get into those, I'm going to announce the spoiler warnings. <laughs> <laughs> I probably remember to do that 25% of the time. But uh, yeah, this pod... Yeah, I'm being, being generous to myself. <laughs> so yeah, we will spoil uh, everything. Anything you can imagine, it will probably get spoiled. Okay, so if you don't want spoilers, you don't want to listen to us. Um, let's introduce the panel. Uh, we'll start with Torg. Hi, I am Torgover. I'm evil Torgover on Tumblr. Uh, Chicky. Hi, this is Chicky. I am Chikrin on Tumblr. Eon. Hey, this is Eon. I'm Eon Blue Negative at Tumblr. Uh, YD. Hi, this is YD, and I'm Yellow Delaney on Tumblr. And we have a guest from the fandom tonight, the ever lovely F7th. Hi, I'm F7. I'm F7.tumblr.com. Probably one of our biggest podcast supporters since the very beginning. Oh, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I, don't think yeah. I love hearing podcasts. I don't think a week has ever gone by where we haven't had a nice message from F7th. She's kept but I purposely, didn't, uh, I purposely didn't give you a review last week because it will be weird if I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm really looking forward to your guest next week. Or it's going to be super great. <laughs> That's what I would have done anyway. <laughs> So before we get into the chapter, I just want to get an um, a kind of an idea of where everybody's at with like how much of the books they've read in the past. So um, like Torque, uh, how many times have you read Game of Thrones? Uh, I've read the whole series once. I've probably read the Jamie and Brienne tra- chapters maybe twice, sometimes three times. Depends. Yeah. How about you, Chicky? <laughs> Uh, I don't us. <laughs> I would say I've probably read them all the way through at least probably five times. Maybe not dance that many times, but probably five. Yeah, she gives our podcast gravitas. <laughs> <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> Fair. Okay. God. Me? Yeah, how many times? All right. I've read them twice, um, and I've read these chapters so far and I've read a couple of the Arya chapters okay and YD uh, yeah I'm sort of similar to Torg I've read the whole series through once and then Jamie and Brienne chapters uh, sort of bits and pieces here and there maybe a few times each okay how about you F7th uh, since I only recently read the books I uh, second until five books but um, for Jamie and Brian and Cersei's chapters, I probably have read it uh, twice too. Yeah, I think I'm probably similar. I've read the whole series once through and then the Jamie and Brian chapters twice through. 
Okay, so let's start with the recap. I'm going to kind of do this like we did the television show episodes, so it's just going to be kind of chronologically. Um, in the beginning of Jamie 1, we see a very blissful Jamie. He's so happy to be free and out of the dungeons. Um, <clears throat> Brienne immediately tells him to be quiet when he's, you know, he's drunk on laughter and being free. <laughs> he Birds are singing, up. the sun is shining. Yeah. He's like, everything is our sea. Yeah. <laughs> 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 he, he even takes a moment to amuse himself by thinking about um, Brienne in one of Cersei's gowns. <laughs> and <laughs> he's making many, many uh, notes about her appearance, many observations. And uh, I should also mention that also Cousin Cleos is in the boat with him, also rowing. And uh, Jamie only slightly remembers being taken from the dungeon and put in the boat. <clears throat> and then almost immediately their bickering begins <laughs> between <laughs> there's some really great lines um between them but i think my favorite uh, as this boat is rowing down the river is how he observes cousin cleos and um cleos kind of reprimands jamie and he says uh cousin remember your courtesies <laughs> JB thinks the Lannister blood runs thin in this one. <laughs> and even has a description of Cleos as he looks like a weasel, looks like a goose, and is as brave as an ew. <laughs> I don't know. So much fray in him. Yeah, definitely. Yes. It's very much like a fray. Um, and then Jamie wonders about the solemnity. I can't say that word. <laughs> the solemnity. Help me out. <laughs> the solemnity. Oh, solemnity? Oh. Of uh, his vow to Catelyn, based on the fact that he was super drunk when he. <laughs> so I guess that brings me to my first question: Does he have a point? Yes. Okay, Torque, weigh in. Yeah, he he has a point. I mean, it, he had a sword to his throat, and he was being forced to say all this stuff. I mean, yeah, I I'd say it would hold. <laughs> that's a point. <laughs> Yeah, I I agree with Torg. I think um, you know when you look at the uh, the importance of, of making an oath, the importance of making an oath, you would think that someone would be making it of their own volition and not being coerced into it. So I think he definitely has a point there. Anyone else? Yeah, she had that sword pointed towards his his throat or chest, so he really had no choice. <laughs> And I'm sure he wanted to get out because he was up, he was held captive for about a year in River Run. Yep. Okay. Um, so Jamie had been. Oh, that actually brings me to another question I had. In the show, it he says over a year. Is that about how long it was in the book as well? Yeah. 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 Um, we had a thought about. Maybe he's never. I had a thought also that he's maybe never really chatty. Um, maybe it was all his time spent in that dungeon because he seems like a bit of a chatterbox as they're in this boat ride together. <laughs> <laughs> I thought maybe it could be. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think he was ever that talkative, or could it have been attributed to him being in that cell that whole time? Oh, I that's, think he's that's talkative. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good question. I think he's he is kind of chatty that way, but it probably did contribute. He's uh, he's uh, being held in you know solitary confinement for quite a <laughs> yeah. while. Okay, it was well, just. A, I, I, was, a good... I was just. Oh, go, ahead. go ahead, Ian. Oh well, he's in a good mood. I mean. Oh. oh. 
he's got the wind in his hair and you know he's feeling good because he's going back to Xerxes. Yeah. And so, can I, mean, I just he's say cooped up in a dungeon? Can I just say talking about <clears throat> the wind in his hair? I think we've all noticed this in the past about how he compares that to Cersei's fingers running through his hair, mm-hmm. and then uh, how he progressively starts to stop comparing those sorts of things to Cersei. And I think by the time we get to a uh, feast for crows, the wind rifles through his hair like a woman's fingers, not Cersei's. So that's oh, I've never <laughs> made that catch. That's really good. Oh, really? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Nope. Oh, but I've made that one. It's almost exactly the same sentence. In A Storm of Swords, it's uh, a wind blows through his tangled hair, a soft and fragrant of Cersei's fingers. And then later in the Feast of it's just the wind blows through his hair like a woman's fingers. Hmm. Well, I enjoy that. <laughs> Let, let's say that that was intentional and not just a line that Gurm thought yes. was uh, <laughs> really good. Yeah, I know. Well, just that's the thing, isn't it? Because authors do tend to reuse lines, but I like to think that that's uh, that was on purpose. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just go with that. Yeah, yeah. So as they continue on their boat ride, the snarkiness kind of continues, and then Brienne basically tells them, "I'm, um, I have." Uh, she tells Cleos to tell him that she has no words for monsters, and uh, Brienne is mentioned, and uh, Jamie has a thought that that boy was not innocent he was a wretch and he was spying on us so there's like spying zero remorse here <laughs> for him pushing bran out the window it's all bran's fault <laughs> yeah yeah i thought that was kind of interesting <laughs> he thinks about um the attempt um to to murder bran and he thinks that it couldn't have been cersei because she probably wouldn't pick someone to botch the job so badly and it kind of made me wonder like what have these two been up to i wonder <laughs> <laughs> that we would have that insight on his sister. Um, no. Ew. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, what other things have they been doing? Anyway, as the boat ride continues, they um, shave Jamie's head and they trim his beard. We see some lice killing. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Jamie continues to admire the river life. <laughs> um, he notes the lack of activity um, because it uh, shows... A, I kind of like this. It's kind of the beginning, showing the impacts of the war on the common people. Just... There's not much going on with the river. Um, eventually, they come upon a burned inn with five women hanging from the oak. Lay with lions. <laughs> yep. And uh, Brienne says, I'll leave no innocents to be food for crows. <clears throat> so this is probably an easy softball question, but why do you think George wrote this bit with the oak and the women hanging? You know, there's more to it than just the oak and the women. Um, if you notice, they're actually on uh, Bracken land mm. when they find these women in the tree. And I don't know if anybody remembers, but... Nope. <laughs> no, I didn't remember anything. <laughs> it's uh, Jonas Bracken and um, Titus Blackwood that Jamie deals with in his one and only chapter in Dance. Yes. And it's settling uh, um, the last of the war in the Riverlands and kind of a feud between those two families at the same time. So actually, Jamie and Brienne's story is... is going to come full circle from where they're at right now um, kind of physically and metaphorically as as they're dealing with women who've been hanged as whores um, yeah wow. yeah it's really interesting oh. how well he ties it back in wow you totally <laughs> took my answer chicky <laughs> <laughs> i had always figured it was stark it was stark you know supporters because like um there's a couple chapters um i think it's aria three where they go into Stony Sept and they see some of these men that are caged 
and um, they point out that they were Stark men that came in and searched. They were looking for up and they started raping the women and they had them in these cages. So, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, not only does, like, you know, the bloody mummers and Robin Riger know about Jamie and Brienne, there's other people that know about them. Hmm. Very good. Oh, okay. <clears throat> Brienne climbs up the tree and then she spies a boat that's coming down the river and yells for them to return to the boat so they can get the hell out of there. It's a river galley with uh, tully-colored sails. Jamie realizes that they will not outrow them, and he asks for a sword because he'd rather die with a sword in his hand and all that jazz. Um, Jamie exchanges words with um, the captain of the guard, uh, Sir Robin Riger, as Ian mentioned. <laughs> Tells them to surrender and no one gets hurt. Um, their boat gets um, pummeled with arrows, but... I can really take that seriously as a threat because I'm pretty sure they don't want to kill that hostage. And then uh, Jamie takes a minute to admire Brienne's eyes. <laughs> Yay! And her rippling muscles. <laughs> Cords of wood <laughs> legs. <laughs> and also swims. <laughs> so Jamie is given an oar. Uh, Cleos is ordered to steer and Brienne jumps out of the boat. Um <laughs> She wades out into and then climbs a cliff. Jamie has more words with Sir Robin, and then shortly after, a giant boulder rolls off the side of the cliff. It's the size of a cow, mind you. It smashes into the galley below, snapping the mast, breaking the sail, and punching a hole through the boat. The boat begins to sink almost immediately. The men not injured or drowned are going to have a long, wet walk back to River Run, Jamie thinks. Um, this is probably one of the biggest moments for my like Brienne love was this scene <laughs> like she's like a superhero in this yeah, <laughs> did anyone have a hard time like visualizing that like I, I... No. no no I, no! I think I can see that especially if you have seen Gwendolyn Christie's uh, backstage video uh, he, in the theater he ever you know jump from uh using some kind of tools like you use in circus, and that's really make it easier to imagine this scene. <laughs> like an acrobat. <laughs> yeah, she <laughs> is. She's a gymnast, right? She was. She was, yeah, that's right. Yeah. It was just so much like the acrobatic stuff. It was like, how do you push a boulder the size of a cow? Have you guys ever tried to push yeah, a she's stronger. <laughs> she's stronger than Plagans. <laughs> After climbing up a sheer cliff face, too. Uh, yes. <laughs> anyway, she's awesome. Okay. I, I have she to say, in the books, I imagine... Do you guys watch Adventure Time? Because I imagine her as Susan Strong. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, but I'll have to look later now, I think. <laughs> so one of my favorite things about this scene is the way that, um, even though they've been completely at each other's throats, Jamie and Brienne just kind of work in symmetry. Yes. Um, as this yes, scene is, is happening, Jamie are. Jamie tries to distract uh, yes. Sir Robin from mm -hmm. from what Brienne is doing so that he won't try to shoot her down with the the bowman that he has. And I think it's really <laughs> really cute foreshadow of how think, well cute it's <laughs> pretty funny too <laughs> of how things are going to go between them because they just kind of you know even though they they are at each other's throats they also have yeah. a strange synchronicity. It's mm -hmm. interesting. You're right. You're right. They kind of immediately yeah. get each other and understand where each other is coming from, and that is really evident here. I think it's really great. 
Yeah. I think this was Brienne's like, ain't nobody got time for this. <laughs> she's, she's been having to deal with Jamie. He won't shut up and everything. And this stupid galley comes along and she's just like, fuck it. I just want to get to King's Landing to get. Get rid of this douchebag. <laughs> uh, Kate. Appreciate. Her, her rage for Jamie was probably uh, pushing her on there. And, yeah. and I love that one of the first big things she does is sink a ship. Ah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> a ship, huh? Are you, are you suggesting that's metaphorical and foreshadowing uh, in some way? Oh, maybe oh. it might be. Ah. <laughs> ah. Okay. Uh, so um, Jamie um, thinks that they're home free when Cleos, well, basically that he's home free from Bree, and he immediately starts like, okay, now I can get away from this wench. And then Cleos shouts for him to look where Brienne is lumbering along the cliff top. And then she almost gracefully dives off. And uh, as she's coming towards the boat, Jamie thinks about smacking her in the head with the oar. But instead, he helps her up. So That's uh, the mom one. (laughs) Here comes another softball one. Why do you think he helped her up? (laughs) Why didn't he smack her? He was totally impressed. He was impressed with what she did. (laughs) Yeah, I told you it was a softball one. So I had to laugh at the part where he says, we could have sailed on without you. I suppose you expect a thank you. (laughs) Yeah, Um, I love this. I love that he says that. He not only is thinking about smacking her in the head, he pretty much says, we we could have left you for dead. (laughs) He actually says it out loud. (laughs) She um, tells him she swore an oath and Jamie replies, and you are going to keep it. So he seems a little bit um, almost, I, I guess maybe a little amazed. I don't know if that's the right word, but surprised that she would, she intends to keep her oath. And that brings us to the end to Jamie 1. So anybody have anything they want to add about that particular chapter before we go on to Jamie 2? Okay, well, can we talk about one of my favorite things about this chapter? Sure can. <laughs> Just kind of how aware Jamie is of Brienne physically. Um, his his thing about her body, her face, <laughs> is um I think interesting and noteworthy because we really don't see him do this with any other characters that that he meets that you know we aren't even meeting her for the first time. Yeah. So. Well, it's not as though GRM needs to introduce us to her. We already know her. Just to and play, I think it's interesting. Just to play devil's advocate, he did go on about Cleos a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, he did go on about Cleos, and it's actually interesting um, the way that he compares and contrasts Brienne and Cleos. Um, it's really um, quite prevalent throughout the chapters that Cleos is in, where he, you know, he talks about Brienne and her honour and the fact that she's an excellent fighter, um, and then he talks about. Cleos and how he, you know, is this snivelling, whatever he calls him, and that he's weasley looking and not very strong. And uh, that was that was something that occurred to me as I was reading through. Um, but Chicky's right. Jamie is completely obsessed with Brienne's body uh, from the from the very first. I think from the very first meeting. Um, he talks about, you know, he pictures her in one of Cersei's gowns, which, you know, the way that he thinks about her isn't particularly complimentary, but when you think about the way that he does it, 
Cersei's gown for a start, not just a dress, but his lover's dress. That's that's an interesting uh, <laughs> thing well, yeah, that I'm considering he, there. He certainly is not complimentary, but it's just interesting how much he talks about her physically. That's right. He talks yeah, about he's, her physically a lot throughout he's really, the first really couple chapters, really. Yeah, it's right, constantly, she's ugly, he's... she looks this way, he notices yes. like, specific details, like her arms and her legs and right. her face and her hair. <laughs> I mean, exactly. again, I'm just going to play devil's advocate to be the jerk that's like <laughs> saying, well, um, he hasn't been with any other women in quite a while. Could it be just that? <laughs> Like, wouldn't he be well, checking out Well, the interesting thing is, is that he's not really thinking about her in a complimentary sexual way. It's just that yeah. he, he seems to be really, really fascinated with the way that she looks. And not just the way that she looks, also the fact that she so stridently, um, you know, adheres to her code of honour. And um, he just seems fascinated by her. Yeah, positively singular is Olena. <laughs> okay so let's go on to jamie too Uh, this was such a meaty chapter i really enjoyed jamie too um there was so much of his history um his background in this chapter that was revealed um it opens up with them coming to an inn they get out of the boat and they see a sign of the symbol of the kneeling man and it was the last king of the north who knelt to aegon the conqueror Jamie hears that there are horses whining in the stables and thinks one horse is all he needs to put Brienne behind him. Uh, he doesn't even think about Cleos. I guess he'll just leave Cleos with Brienne. <laughs> well, I mean, he kind of does just leave Cleos. <laughs> I really like Cleos. <laughs> he was fun. He was fun. Can I just bit. say that um, previously I've looked up Cleos for another thing that I was doing and there's a Someone's drawn some art of him on his Wikipedia page, and they've really captured that weaselly look. Something something else. Rest in peace. We need to like um, post these things on Tumblr when we think of like Adventure Time (laughs) reference. Now uh, Wikipedia for Cleos. Okay, uh, so um, my question is, Brian is taking Jamie to where he wants to go. Why is he trying so hard to escape from her? He doesn't He's trust her. <laughs> he doesn't trust her to get in there. He doesn't. He doesn't think she's capable? Well, no, I don't know. I mean, like, how would he know if she's capable or not? He barely knows her. Here she is, this teenage girl. <laughs> you know, why would he trust her to do this, essentially? And then there's the fact that he is, um, you know, I suppose someone could argue, but he's the best the sword the best swordsman in Westeros, so he of course trusts himself and his own ability well, I to fight. I think he knows a single man would probably have an easier time getting back. And then there's the fact that she's refusing to take him to his father, who's much closer, and is insisting right. on taking him to King's Landing. I mean, and obviously just the the fact that he's you know a prisoner and in chains, of course he'll he'll want to escape. Yeah, I mean, he's in a precarious position, and he can't defend himself. I mean, you see him thinking about that a lot in Jamie 1, the fact that he cannot defend himself. You do, and it's actually, in both chapters, you notice just how much Jamie relies on or thinks about, um, you know, getting out of situations with his sword. He is really, really dependent on his his sword fighting, which obviously is very poignant when you think about what happens to him not not too far from here. Do you think partly it could be also his pride? Um, I really don't think yeah. it is. <laughs> you don't think it is? I think it's practicality. I mean, it, and he's probably yeah. not wrong, let's be honest. If he were on his own, he probably would have a better chance of surviving. 
I agree, but I think he's he's not he's probably not enjoying being a prisoner either. I'm gonna say if he had focused more on trying to actually work with her rather than, you know, trying to focusing on how am I gonna get out of this mess, then they probably would have had a much easier time. Together he probably, probably. will have his hand. Yeah, Maybe. right. Well, that, that's true. But I he, don't know. Brian kind of let her guard drop too. It, it, they're both responsible for I think that mess. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have gotten the amazing sword fighting scene. <laughs> later, <laughs> later weeks. So you, uh, you brought up the fact that he was trying to get her to take him to Tywin. Um, if if he she had decided to go that route, do you think things would have turned out differently? Um, well, I mean, for him, yeah. <laughs> Obviously, um, I think oh. Brienne is smart, and I'm sure that Catelyn told her not to if it came up. Um, you know, you, you probably couldn't trust Tywin to stick to the deal that, that yeah. Jamie had made with, with Catelyn. Whereas Catelyn is correct to think that she has a chance of Tyrion sticking to the deal, and she probably was, was right to insist on Brienne going to King's Landing. But you can see it from Jamie's point of view. Jamie just wants to survive, and you can't really blame him for wanting to take the best route to survival, which would be his father, who's actually very not far away from where they are. Actually, too, um, that reminds me, you also see Catelyn kind of hedging her bets with Cleos, because you mentioned, you know, Tyrion would probably keep his word, but I think she had Cleos also swear. That- yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah I'm, you know, she, she's trusting in, in the honor of knights, and, you know, it really does seem like Cleos is at least by the book, an honorable guy. Yeah, um, cousin, remember your is... courtesies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they get to the inn only to be met with a loaded crossbow. <clears throat> the boy at the door demands they drop their weapons before he will let them in and before he will serve them. There's this great exchange again of pithy lines between the innkeeper yes. and Jamie. <laughs> I love the, I love this so much. And I was just saying this to Chicky the other day. Sorry. <laughs> God. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love the whole, yeah, the boy with the, uh, with the crossbow. And then he uh, he says to Jamie, oh, he says to, I think, either Brienne or Cleos, why is this one in irons? And Jamie says, killed some crossbowmen. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's fantastic. And then there's also the line where he's like, yeah, we have some horse meat and yes. stale bread. He was like, well, at least you're honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then we realize why they're honest, because they aren't actually in keeps. <laughs> they haven't been at this that long. <laughs> um, the the innkeep, quote-unquote, uh, reveals that he and his wife found the in- former innkeeper dead and now sees the place as his own. The man uh, cooks them food and serves them drinks and asks Cleos. Um, this is kind of interesting to note. In the beginning of this, the innkeep sees Cleos as the, quote-unquote, leader of the group. And he directs his questions to him and asks him, where are you headed? And they learn that, uh, he says King's Landing, they learn that Stannis is outside the gates at King's Landing with his army and a magic sword. Um, Jamie has a, quite a strong reaction to that news. <clears throat> they discuss the safest route back to King's Landing, and there really aren't any safe routes back. Everywhere is lousy with outlaws. The man advises that they leave the river, cut over land, and stay off the main roads, keep under the cover of the trees at night. Uh, Jamie wants to <clears throat> see the horses that he heard when they first land it. Uh, they make their way to the stables, and they see three horses. Um, they offer coin for them. 
there's this great exchange of dialogue about the old white horse. Jamie says he ought to pay him for the for taking the white one off his hands. And uh, Brienne answers back, don't speak so discourteously over your horse, sir. <laughs> A little bit of sassy Brienne, which I know Whitey. I love that. <laughs> uh, Brienne offers the man three gold dragons for, and the boat for the horses. Jamie says he's robbing her blind. The man Jamie's like trying to cut a really good deal and Brienne is just like having none of it. She wants to overpay. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, she's just throwing <laughs> money at me in case. Yeah. <laughs> like Eon said, she's just, nobody's got time for this. <laughs> well, exactly. wasn't Arthur Dane the same way he would overpay? He would be a little bit more just to the common people? Hey. Oh, when dealing what? with the Kingswood Brotherhood. But he wasn't, right? He wasn't a common people, that those guys. Right. No, yeah, I think that's when he was dealing with he deliberately overpaid for things so that they could try to win the people over so the people wouldn't support the outlaws. Right. But yeah, I could see Brienne's reasoning just being, not not particularly that she's trying to be in good with the common people, it's just she's just trying to get this shit done and over with. Yeah, done, and she's very fair. Brienne is very fair. Brienne not probably wouldn't fight very that... hard with people who don't have a lot. Yeah, that's true. That's true, but I think Brienne is also aware that these people are maybe trying to lead them into a trap. So I'm yeah. not entirely sure that, yeah. you know, she's trying to be fair with them necessarily. Could be too. It's not really her money she's spending. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's <laughs> money, I have some more she's, gold. It's, it's like your corporate <laughs> account that they give you. And, you know, yeah. What the hell? Fly first I'll class. Be, I'll <laughs> use my visa. Just account it, man. <laughs> the bank of Scotland. Anyway. <laughs> You can tell she's very suspicious of them, of them, and I'm pretty glad that they didn't stay the night, because who knows what happened to them. Yeah, just some more evidence of, uh, you know, kind of showing how Jamie and Brianna are on the same page without having actually discussed it, but they're both very wary, and um, <laughs> Jamie's not particularly... Uh, subtle about the little hints that he's giving her about the fact that they shouldn't stay the night. He's saying, Gee, it really smells like ho- it really smells like horse shit around here. She seems to be on the same page as he is, which is good. Yeah, it's good for showing her intellect too, because I'm pretty sure yeah. Cleos didn't pick up on it. He's living in his own little dream world where he wants to feather bed tonight. So the man, I think, marks her for an easy mark, and uh, he's trying to gouge her some more, like you said, for some food and a room for the night. And she tells him that they won't be staying. The moon is bright, and they can ride through the night. <clears throat> Cleos wants to sleep on, and uh, Jamie agrees with Brienne and they, that they should go. Um, so Jamie ends up getting the one-eyed gelding, <laughs> and I just had foreshadowing. <laughs> It's a one-eyed horse, but I think I may be stretching it there. <laughs> no, I I totally got that. And, you know, Brand's on the plow horse, you know, the nice sturdy thing. Uh, the the palfrey was running, like, they, they caught it when it was running, and that's Cleo, so I'm not sure what that would uh, <laughs> represent. But it was like, and, and then the... You and then J- Jamie, <laughs> Jamie doesn't see himself as the... Uh, as the the uh geldling the geldling just yet but the one i gotta say i'm so glad that this came up because i spent a good hour discussing the horse metaphors with friends the other night <laughs> was it chicky <laughs> so, it wasn't chicky it was not chicky 
be wise to do in the future. Sorry, it was someone not on the podcast. Oh, okay. Would your mum think? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> hi, hi mum. <laughs> okay, look, this is this is what we came up with, and I'm going to say this was a lot of this was more her. So I've got to give props. Um, so in terms of the, it wasn't really in relation to who was riding what. It was just. Um, which horse was, was who. So we think that Cleos is the lumbering brown plough horse because, I mean, I think that's fairly evident. <laughs> um, and then we've got Brienne as the dappled grey knight's palfrey because it is like a young horse. It's spirited. Later on we find out that the palfrey is a girl. It's also dappled, which is sort of um, – if you look at dappled horses, it's like a freckly pattern. Um, and also when it was found, it was bound by its saddle and its bridle, which kind of indicated to me that it meant that it was bound by, you know, honour and oaths. Um, and then we have Jamie as the white gelding, who is the older horse. It's been kind of... Brought <laughs> oh. again, metaphor for not being bound by honour. It's a white horse, white for the King's Guards cloak. Uh, it was also blind in one eye and castrated, which I guess maybe could be foreshadowing the, you know, the loss of his hand further on, which is kind of like castrating him because, you know, he's a, he's a knight and he really relies on his sword hand. Um, so, yeah, that's what we came up with. And I think we, we went really deep into wow. the horse metaphor. You still well, uh, write myth about it. <laughs> the tinfoil was deep with you there. The tinfoil was deep. <laughs> No, I don't think it's tinfoil at all. I mean, I think that's a very good point. But I do want to add that Brienne didn't Brienne herself pick the plow horse, so she, she did, might see herself as maybe, the plow horse. Yes, I was about to say, and I do have that note. Is that how Brienne sees herself as the sort of slow, dependable one, and not the spirited knight? Very good. Like that. Wow. That's <laughs> <laughs> so I guess it wasn't a stretch. <laughs> This is what I did in, this is my entire preparation for the podcast, was just looking at horse metaphors. <laughs> like I said, I'm glad you guys do that work. I just ask the questions. <clears throat> okay, so they walk along the river, and eventually they get to a fork in the road. Brienne chooses the southern road, and um, that the man warned, <clears throat> the, the opposite road that the man warned them against. Jamie thinks it is a good choice and it's the road he would have chosen. So again, just going back to their synchronicity and having similar thoughts. Um, Jamie uh, Oh god, my notes! I need to type! <laughs> <laughs> Jamie deduces along with Brienne, the man was uh, leading them into the woods to be robbed. Um, mentions the amount of horse manure in the stables and we've kind of already talked spoke about that and I guess I would have been like Cleo's because I wouldn't have picked up on Jamie's hints about the manure <laughs> I'd have been like feather bed feather bed <laughs> um, Jamie has a thought about Brienne um, that she may be ugly but she's not stupid and can I just say that is a declaration of love from Jamie if I've ever heard one <laughs> she may be <laughs> ugly but she's not entirely stupid <laughs> aww that's so sweet <laughs> Um, they, there's this part too where they spy a tower house with uh, light and Brienne leads them away from the road and then eventually angles back when they're clear of it. Um, so I don't know. I kind of like these little moments again where they're just showing 
Brienne's intelligence. I think it kind of harkens back to the last podcast episode when we were asked, talking about how they perceive themselves. And mm-hmm. Brienne kind of thinks she's, you know, not intellectually. But it's yeah, a thanks, thanks to Roel. Yeah, thank you. So showing her intelligence. Uh, she's anyway. good with strategy. She's really good with strategy. And she then, is. you see it in Clash too. She she knows what Tywin's going to do. Edmure doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> she really she really does have a more strategic mind than she gets credit for. Yeah, they're both good with strategy, really. Okay. Um, Jamie asks Brienne if she's an only child. Um, <clears throat> oh, I shouldn't mention that they're making camp, but she won't allow them to have fire. So again, more strategy. <laughs> Jamie asks Brienne if uh, she's an only child. She says, "No, I'm my father's only s- child." I don't, I didn't even remember this part. I felt kind of dumb, but I don't remember her almost slipping and saying "son." Mm, I think yeah. I remember the, this yeah. part most. Yeah, yeah, it's a really big it moment. Struck me. It's really, really struck yeah. me yeah. when he said yeah. "son." <laughs> yeah, it really does stand out. I think she's, you know, I, I personally don't don't see her as transgender, just as what we we see when we get into her head and feast, but. I do think she sees herself in a male role, essentially. Yes. Oh, yeah. And I think that yeah. is, you know, where she sees herself slotting. So you can kind of see she has an almost as son. Well, yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that she, I don't think she's, look, I don't think she considers herself a man, but I think you're right. I think that in terms of um, the structure of society and where she slots in, I think she sees herself in in a more masculine role. And I also think that, Perhaps she was trying to be the son that her father would have wanted as well. Exactly. I mean, um, there's all, always the quote where she always felt like she was the freakish one, not fit to be a son or daughter. Yeah. And um, best line ever. She's never had any except uh, success attempting to be a woman, as seen in Westerosi society. Yeah. Um, she's been told well, she's that... unfit for marriage. Yeah. <clears throat> Her body type, it's ill-suited to long dresses, and she's considered unattractive. However, you know, like, in she's since she's taken on, like, becoming, she wants to be a knight. She's really good at fighting. She's had success in that as far as taking on more of a masculine role. Right, and women can't be knights in their society, so, you know, what's she to do, and I guess? You also... And I think YD even said so. I mean, she's also like her father's sole heir to Tarth, you know? Sole heir. Yeah. Yeah. It's unfortunate slip because um, Jamie has a bit of a chuckle at that um, slip of her almost saying son. And then there's this really endearing moment where he sees her emotional reaction to him laughing at her. And he immediately thinks of Tyrion. And then he apologizes to her. Yeah, oh my God. And asks for her forgiveness. And uh, she's, she tells him that his crimes are past forgiveness. And then you have that whole lovely dialogue that we all know so well <laughs> leading yeah. into the it's talk also about... in the show. What's that? It's also in the show when he said, your crimes are past forgiving King's Lair. Yep. Yeah, they did yeah. put that in the show. That was, that was they the dialogue that they lived. They used a good chunk of this, actually, uh, verbatim. And that's, they did, actually, yeah. And that's one of the instances where... 
um, you see Brienne sort of being antagonistic to him. Um, I think often <clears throat> some people think that it's it's all Jamie who's precipitating these arguments and the hostility, but really here we've got Jamie saying, you know, I didn't intend to give offence, Brienne, forgive me, and she in- immediately snaps back with, your crimes are past forgiveness, Kingslayer. <laughs> so, you know, she, <laughs> she sort of, she often baits him just like he baits her. So, well, it's, you know... Yeah. And she deliberately calls him names he doesn't like. She calls him Kane right. She calls him Monster. Right. For a lot of Jamie Wan, she's calling him Monster. Yeah. And it's like, he just can't stand it. <laughs> he hates it. Yeah. He calls him which, which, you know, is kind of mirrored in the way that he calls her wench, and she's repeatedly trying to correct him. Yeah. Um, uh, although, you know, I always say she did start the whole thing. <laughs> she really she did. She really did. And that's the thing, like, Brienne is not some helpless little victim of Jamie. She can give as good as she gets. Yeah, he was in a good mood, right? And then she started off. Yeah. I mean, he was loving the sunshine. Cersei's fingers were running through his hair. He was having a good time picturing Brienne and Cersei's dress. And then, oh. <laughs> So they talk a bit about Ares, and uh, Jamie thinks that she would not like his answer for as to why he took the white cloak, and uh, he says he thinks that he did it for love, and then we have the whole memory of him um, thinking back to Cersei at King's Landing, and how Tywin was keeping there, letting her, you know, grow more desirable and holding out for a royal marriage. Um, he mentions when he visits King's Landing, Cersei kind of pulls him to the side and tells him that Tywin is attempting to work out a marriage between Jamie and Lysa uh, Tully. Uh, Cersei tells him he should take the white cloak so that he can always be near her. Jamie says Tywin will never allow that. Cersei mentions how Tywin can't object openly. And uh, she also mentions how Ilan Payne lost his tongue for boasting that Tywin was the one who really ruled the Seven Kingdoms. Jamie mentions Casterly Rock, and the line is, is it Casterly Rock you want or me? She gives him a night of passionate, sexy times <laughs> at an inn at Eel Alley. <laughs> and that pretty much rocked his world and uh, made up his mind. <laughs> Wireless fantasy. <laughs> yeah. uh, the rock seemed a small price, price to pay to be near her always. Uh, he agrees to take the white cloak and... Cersei promises to do the rest. So what do you think she did to orchestrate this? That's a great question. There's a lot of debate about that. I think it's kind of assumed that um, either she just had made uh, some good friends at court, possibly Varys is a theory, um, or she just kind of knew what to say in front of Eris to to make him think about something like this. I mean, it is something to really just stick it in Tywin's face. I'm sure it didn't take much convincing once once this got to, to Eris's ears to do it. To put uh, Jamie's Tywin oh. and Eris weren't on good terms at that moment, I would imagine. No. Especially with Ilan Payne bragging about Tywin and everything. Oh, no. Yeah, I think I think Eris would have sort of jumped on the opportunity. I mean, Jamie, you know, had shown some skill with a sword. Um, and just to get that one over Tywin, I'm sure he would have, yeah, he wouldn't have taken much convincing at all. It's just that I guess it's up for theorizing how exactly that message was delivered. She could have done it in person. She could have like dropped a hint mm-hmm. in front of him. I'm sure. I'm sure it's safe to say that she socialized with 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 Aris. She would have socialized with the royal family. She yeah. very well just done it directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, drop a little too- reverse psychology. Man, it would really right. piss my yeah. dad off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's too bad there wasn't like a flashback to that in a Cersei chapter. You know. 
Maybe I would love that. I hope there is. Maybe there will be. Who knows? (laughs) Um, So my next question, and again, this kind of harkens back to maybe the conversation we had last podcast, but why do you think she orchestrated it? Um, Was it love? She in love with Jamie? Look, I think... I think that Cersei, and I think we've all sort of agreed on this in the past, maybe not talk. I think that Cersei is in love with Jamie to the extent that she can be in love with Jamie as a narcissist, and that is that she loves him as being, um, I guess, the, the male part of her that she could never be. He's sort of the the Cersei that she want, wanted to be. Um, but I also think that, I don't know, it, it's it's hard to tell I, with Cersei um, in terms of did she really want to get him away from Casterly Rock? Um, did she want to rob him of his, his status as heir? Um, I don't know. What do you guys think? Uh, I tend to think not just because she had her sights set so high. She She wanted to be queen. So I, yeah. I kind of don't think she did it to get Casterly Rock away from him. I mean, I wouldn't put it past her in later years, but mm. I doubt that was it to begin with. I think it was that she just wanted him there. I mean, I, I really do think yeah. she did love him oh, in her way. I agree with yes. YD <laughs> that it is, yeah, it is a very right. selfish yeah. love, but I, I think she just wanted him with her. Go ahead, Iana. Yeah, I mean, jump in. I figured, I always figured that she thought that she had Rhaegar in the bag. Like, she was... Oh, she keeps cutting it. And then she'd have Jamie also as the King's Guard right by her. So that's how she wanted him right there. I think, so. too, there's a bit of mirroring with um, Cersei and um, when they were children and that girl she pushed down the well. Because she did men- mention Lysa Tully, right? Maybe it's just her jealousy and possession of Jamie. It definitely is it's jealousy. Like, yeah. 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 Yeah, 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 I, yeah. I, I don't think she wants him to have other priorities or, or anything like that. That's right. So, and so I mean, we kill her friend, right? Yeah, she did. She did kill Malar. Well, we're fairly certain it's pretty. Yeah, not stated, but yeah, and, and you know, hey, thank goodness that she did do this because can you imagine if Jamie had ended up married to Liza Tully? <laughs> oh, gosh. poor guy. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody married Eliza Tully, I pity. Well, who knows, though? I mean, maybe she yeah. would have had a happier life. Uh, <laughs> maybe, I mean, that's, that's, that's Littlefinger at this point, though? Yeah, I think she would have been. But oh, I, come I on. If Jamie comes strolling through the door, you're going <laughs> to yeah, drop right. Littlefinger pretty quick. You know which way you'd go a lot. <laughs> it, it, is, it is interesting to think about how Lassa would have been if she wasn't married to Robert Aaron because, uh, you know, by all accounts, he didn't treat her well. Um, and I I don't know if now I'm mixing fan fiction in the books, but <laughs> did he – was she – did she sort of become worse? Uh, yeah, because didn't she have the miscarriages and then yeah, they said, you know, know – I don't know that he treated her poorly. Um, I, he certainly wasn't. More indifferently. Yeah, more, more it, was, it was, you know, there, I don't think there was any love lost between them. But. Well, he was yeah. a dude, like, right? Like, yeah, and I think that do mention she got worse after she had the miscarriage and she couldn't give him, um, you know, a son. So, although she did give him a son, but, you know, that's debatable whether it's his son. But anyway. <laughs> I don't well, care. The whole thing with Liza not being able to carry the whole about tansy um that herb that she took that holster tully made her take and ever yeah. since she took that she wasn't able to to have you know carry babies to full term she was always having miscarriages yeah poor liza 
Okay. Um, Jamie um, talks about his um, station once he is a member of the King's Guard and how he saw four hands rise and fall, including the pyromancer, Rossert. Jamie tells Brienne that she's too young to have known of Ares, and Brienne won't hear it. He calls her a Kingslayer, too. She tells him she didn't kill Renly and shares the tale of the Cold Shadow. That did. Jamie laughs and scoffs at her story. Gets in a low blow of uh, never giving a wench a sword when she's bleeding. <laughs> oh, Jamie. Oh, oh, oh. Dude. Oh, oh. fighting words, Jamie. <laughs> he thinks um, he, he, she's getting upset and he thinks of grabbing her dagger if she gets close and uh, putting it in her womb. Oh. And can I just say, that is so sexual and that is the very, that is the start. <laughs> God. <laughs> of all those sexual metaphors in terms of uh, fighting for Jamie. Well, no, yeah, the sword. <laughs> the dagger is his penis. <laughs> but I just mean it's, it's sort of the, it's the precursor to the, the immense sexual overtones that they have during their actual fight, um, which I think is the next chapter. Um, and, and it's sort of, it's interesting to see the way Jamie views um, fighting and having sex is sort of similar <laughs> things to me, at least. Can't something times we just it. a dagger be a dagger? <laughs> Can a dagger in the womb be a dagger in the womb? I don't know. Can it be when it comes to, when it comes to Jamie and Brienne? I don't know. <laughs> so she tells him... Come on, Chicky, Chicky, you got my back here, right? No, we're moving on. <laughs> <laughs> she tells him being a knight is a gift, one that he's soiled. Jamie tells her he earned his knighthood. Um, he turns over and thinks about how uh, he had killed Ares and how he was in his golden armor, not his white, and he'd wish he'd taken the damn cloak off too. When Ares sees Jamie with his sword, it's bloodied, and he wants to know um, if it's Tywin's blood. Jamie tells him that it's Rossart's. Ares shits himself and runs away. Jamie literally his shits himself. Yep. <laughs> Talk would have loved that. They, they cut that out of the show, too. <laughs> 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 you never see Ares shit in the fan art, either, do you? Really? <laughs> oh, no. Don't worry, oh, Tom. Yeah, Don't worry, Tom. There's, there's still Daddy's bloody flops that may, <laughs> may be on the agenda. There you go, Lot. That's your next challenge. Oh, fan art. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, good shit. Can I request uh, Ares shitting himself, please? (laughs) In in colour palette nine. Oh, what? Ares mixed media. It's a big nope. Oh, mixed media. This is a great sign for Jamie thinks while he's killing Ares how a king should die harder than this. Um, Ellis Westerling and Lord Crack and Crack Hall come in and with some of the other of uh, Tywin's knights and they find Jamie over the dead mad king. He tells them to announce that Ares is dead and to spare all those that surrender. Crack Hall asks, shall I proclaim a new king? Um, and really, he Jamie surmises that he's asking, who shall it be? Tywin, Robert, Viserys, or the infant Aegon? So, out of those options, who do you think would have been the best choice if Jamie had picked one? I know he can't and wouldn't have, but out of those options, who would you have picked? Between between Aegon and Viserys? Tywin? Or Tywin? Well, definitely not Tywin. Viserys or well, Aegon? Not Viserys. I think but... Robert as well was one of the options. Yep, I said it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Robert obviously I was, I think, the best yeah. choice, really. I would have chosen the one who came is Nat. And you know what? There's a great line in there where he says, uh, uh, "His blood is in both of them." When he thinks about um, Aegon and Viserys. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's quite interesting, and obviously that you know ties in with the whole mad thing. So what would have happened? Yeah, Danny wasn't born yet, so Danny wasn't even on the table. No. Why not? Ty- uh, <laughs> well, Tywin. I think Tywin. Uh, gee, I tell you what, he is ruthless in in getting in doing anything to get what he wants. Um, I don't know. The idea of Tywin ruling a kingdom is terrifying to me. But it's somebody that would have paid attention. Robert didn't even pay attention once he got the throne. I kind of lean toward benign neglect being a little better than... <laughs> yeah, I agree. I agree. I'm, I prefer indifference over, you know, ruthless ruling, I think. I don't what know. do you think? What do you think, Lot? He should be the king. I think I'm going for Tywin. I think he would have been a great king. Um, I mean, he's Get out. he's gotten what he's won. <laughs> if he's sitting on the throne, why, he has no need to be ruthless anymore. Yeah, but, I mean... The... <laughs> If that's what he wanted, but surely other things he would want would come up during his ruling, and imagine what he would do to get them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is the guy who ordered Rhaenys and Aegon killed, you know, a toddler yes. and an infant. I mean, yeah, that's. Well, but lot, lot Simon loves is killing kids. On a level it all makes that... sense. You're <laughs> probably going to grow up to be crazy anyway. They uh, were inbred, though. They weren't as badly inbred as everyone else. Oh, so okay. They might have had a shot. I think if Tywin would have gained the throne, they would have. he wouldn't have lasted too long. He would be oh, you mean- almost too effective in, like, Varys and, like, Illyrio, the people that scheme, they would have gotten rid of him pretty fast. All hail King Tywin. Moving on. Jamie tells him to proclaim who um, they bloody well like. Then he sits on the throne and waits for who, sh- who for someone to come in, and it happens to be Ned. And then there is this line where he said, "You had no right to judge me either, Stark." So it's definitely a chip on his shoulder. And- I actually really like that. Um, you know. They make it clear here that Jamie wasn't interested in power. He didn't do it for his father. He didn't do it for the power. It was just really to save the city from a bad man. I really liked. I really liked that. Yeah, I think it was a mix, though. I, I mean, foremost, yeah, it was to save the city, but the guy did want him to kill his dad, and he wasn't. Yeah, sorry. I just mean in terms of you know when he was asked, you know, who should take the throne. He says he doesn't care if it's Tywin. He doesn't care who yeah. it is. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I hear where you're coming from. <clears throat> so uh, Brienne wakes him up with the boot to the ribs, and uh, it's still dark. They eat a meager breakfast and then ride out before sunset. Yay! <laughs> That's the end of Jamie too. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I really like this chapter. Yeah. That's one of my I'll favorite Jamie scenes, that Jamie Brand scene, you know, when yeah. they're they're kind of, I call it the campfire scene, even though there isn't a campfire, but that's what it feels like. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, at night, yeah. only the two of them awake, and they're accidentally having this kind of serious conversation just because they can't quit, like, needling each other, basically. <laughs> they get into yeah. some deeper yeah. topics. It's like the first yeah. time that you're really seeing um, Jamie's other shades, right? That's what yeah. I guess. Enjoyed well, it. And, yeah, and the other thing I love about it is how you're seeing that he just can't seem to ignore her. I mean, 
this is Jamie, and it's not like he hasn't been hearing these insults for years. He has been. I mean, yes. of course, you know, people don't say it as much to his face, but he knows what people think, and he knows how he's treated, and he is treated poorly all the time. And yet, Brienne just drives him crazy the way yeah, that he's she kind of, despises him. Yeah, I was going to say, he's kind of, he's been facing, I guess he's been facing these kind of insults and whatnot for years, and he's learned too much but for some reason and I think it probably has to do with the fact that he, he sees that that honour in Brienne and, and he respects her for it he can't seem to just let her insults fly by him like he does with everyone else yeah it, it just gets she gets under his skin in a way that she does we really never see anyone else do maybe <laughs> Cersei yeah but she just yeah. really it just bothers him so much and I love it you know it, I love, too, that, you know, people kind of tend to think that it's when his hand is gone that he starts revisiting his life and, mm-hmm. and repeating things. And you see with the first two chapters, he's this hand. And it is the exposure to Ben that is causing him to kind of relive things, like the thing with Cersei and Lally and, and the moments there when he killed him. I mean, Jamie's already kind of rethinking and, and uh, maybe adjusting some of his processes already, even before he him. I kind of love that about these chapters. Yeah. yeah, he really is, and I think it really is a result of, of having Brienne there, and, um, you know, she's sort of, here's this sort of young woman who's almost a knight, she's got these, she's she's kind of like, probably how Jamie used to be with her idealism and her, her strong belief in, in vows and, and, and honour and chivalry, and um, I think that probably prompted Jamie to think back on, on the way he used to be and how, I guess, he would want people to perceive him and how it's so different to how he's he's thought of now and i agree with you i think that shift in his in his thinking starts much earlier than people might think i guess a year in a dungeon will do that right (laughs) (laughs) i still don't like him at this point look you didn't like them yet no no but he's funny he's so funny (laughs) oh he's funny but a lot I don't like her funny. Yeah, look, I can't say because I only started reading the books after season three when I'd already fallen in love with Joe. <laughs> him who actually read the books first. Okay, let's um wrap up this then segment and we're going to do the questions or should we do thank yous because we're already at uh, almost an hour. Maybe we should I think just... I might have had one thing to say lot. Oh, I'm sorry. Someone did. Somebody. I did. Um, I have say something. It. Can you say it? Okay. Um, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say it. Okay. Well, you know how I've said that the whole rip the river, everybody in River Run, news is traveling pretty fast about Jamie escaping River Run, where she gets to Stony Sept and um, she overhears this conversation with Lim and Harwin and this chick named Tansy. And it goes like this, because it's hilarious, okay? He goes, in the corner by the window, Lim and Harwin said, talking to red-haired Tansy in low voices, spent the night in Jamie's cell, she heard the woman say, all three of them together, and come the morn, Lady Catelyn cut him loose for love. He gave her a throaty, ch- she gave a throaty chuckle. So I'm just like... Were they talking about all of them having a threesome? threesome? <laughs> I'm going to say I love that. After yeah. the night of passion, she lets yeah. them loose. <laughs> oh, 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> That's funny because, you know, Harwin is with Lady Stoneheart and he. Yeah, exactly. And it's just yeah. funny because news is just spreading throughout the Riverlands about Jamie being set free by Gatlin. There's just so many rumors about Jamie flying around. Oh, it just reminds me of her. Did she get cut off? Yeah, I think she did. Oh, all right. I think we better hurry up and try to wrap this up because our connections seem to be crapping out on us. So <clears throat> we'll save our questions. Um, let's just do the thank yous if we can, Whitey. Yeah, okay. I hope my connection stays okay. They're just just the three this week. Um, we've got a couple of messages on Tumblr. The first one is from Theatre Music Bookworm, who is um, Tori, who says, I just finished listening to this week's podcast, and you ladies were simply wonderful as always. <laughs> I can't wait to hear more book chapter episodes. I think I may actually prefer these to the TV show installments. You had uh... me in half... <laughs> you had me in half <laughs> hysterics with... You had me in half hysterics with some of your comments. Well done. Thank you, Tori. Um, we had another Tumblr comment from Spick and Span 89 who says, Hey, everyone, thoroughly enjoyed the first book podcast and hearing about initial impressions of Jamie and Brienne. I will be skipping ahead in my A Song of Ice and Fire reread to keep up with the podcast this summer. Um, and she did ask a question, but I think we'll need to skip it and uh, revisit that at a later podcast. Um, oh, and she did mention that she thought Glamophonic did an amazing job, and I certainly hope she's invited back. And I can say that, yes, she is invited back, so you should be hearing more from Glam. Yeah, um, she did great. To come. Yeah, she did, do, she did a fantastic job. And I have to say just quickly, thank you so much, Glam. She stepped in to replace me at the last minute and, yeah, she did a really, really good job. So thank you so much. Um, and lastly, we got an email from the lovely Clotho Spindle who says, great start to the book discussions, always a good balanced podcast with the usual suspects and I very much enjoy the rotating fandom guests as well. It's nice to finally hear the voices of so many people from Tumblr and Jamie Brienne chat. I love that there's usually something you all bring up that really gets me thinking. This episode, how Jamie's captivity at River Run and likely long-term post-traumatic stress disorder in his first two years in the Kingsguard um, would have probably had a large impact on what turns out to be the start of his internal shift. With Shipper Goggles firmly on, I tended to focus on the influence of Brienne slash hand shop, which are significant events, of course, and I hadn't given as much weight to the impact of his time in Dungeon Solitary. So, yeah, thanks for the cool points you all delve into. I love this stuff. And we love you, Clotho. Thank you very much. And that is all for the thank yous this week. Thank you, everybody. And um, so if you'd like to send us a message, you can do so at our email, which is closethedoorand at gmail.com. Or you can look for us on Tumblr at closethedoorandcomehere.tumblr.com. I had to think about it that time. Um, it's good to go there, too, because you can see our reading list. So if you want to join along and read the Jamie and Brand chapters, we hope you do. And now, ask Jamie, us some questions. Jamie 3, right? Jamie 3. Jamie three. Jamie three. Yes. Just, Just the one. Just one. Ah. It's a it's a it's a meaty okay. chapter. I think we'll be do in depth analysis here. We may yeah. have yes, this and we may have some questions too next week. Yeah. Is this the sword fucking chapter? It sure is. It sure yeah. is the sword fucking chapter. <laughs> that is how that you is, sell an episode. <laughs> that is, that is actually the chapter's official title. Sword <laughs> <laughs> it's not even Jamie three. It's sword fucking chapter. <laughs> We're going to put 
that on the name of the episode title, right? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'm oh. for iTunes. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, oh, speaking of iTunes, please like and review us on iTunes um, if you could. That would be great. Um, so, thank you, panel. Thank you and to F7. Yes, yes, she, she had to get up early for us. Thank you. She did. What thank time you. is it for you where you are, I'm F7? so sleepy right now. This morning. I don't know if she's on YD's time zone, it's but it's definitely it's almost, it's almost 9am for her. Oh, man. That's, yeah, that's some love. <laughs> but I have to wait awake on uh, since 3am, and I haven't slept uh, since then. Oh. Oh. oh, this is a sacrifice. Thank you. Oh, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, thank you yeah. so much for joining us. We love thank you so much for letting me in. Oh, our pleasure. You're awesome. Anytime. Okay. Um, so, I guess we'll just wrap it up there. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Hi, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.